local news, culture, and NPR. Good evening. Welcome to the local edition. Live from Radio Catskill Studios here in Liberty, New York. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Coming up, we'll get the latest news from our weekly news roundup. Ruby Rayner of the River Reporter joining us live in just a moment. And we'll also uh, find out the latest on a teach-in event that's happening in Rhinebeck on Sunday about the Israeli and Palestinian conflict, the war on Hamas. But first up, let's start with a, a story that we've been following regularly here on the local edition, which is New York State's lofty climate goals and how are they being met? And the latest chapter in that story, uh, you know, unfolded as Governor Hochul did her State of the State address and then subsequently released budget. And we're entering that budgeting process now in New York. And supporters of a measure to combat climate change in New York say that they're encouraged that Governor Kathy Hochul has put elements of the bill in her state budget proposal. Karen DeWitt has more on this. The bill is known as the New York Heat Act that stands for Home Energy Affordable Transition. It would, among other things, discourage natural gas hookups to new homes by eliminating a practice known as the 100-foot rule. Utility ratepayers currently shoulder the cost of the gas pipelines if the new construction is located less than 100 feet from the gas line. Advocates say that amounts to a $200 million subsidy per year for the gas companies. It would also cap energy bills for low- and middle-income New Yorkers to 6% of their total income. Governor Hochul, for the first time, included the elimination of the 100-foot rule in her state budget proposal. She also backs changes that would make it easier for the utilities to convert entire neighborhoods from reliance on fossil fuels to clean energy sources like wind and solar power and geothermal energy. Hochul spoke about the urgency of reducing greenhouse gas emissions during her budget presentation, saying it's personally important to her. As a mom, as a grandma, we all have to be focused on the future that we're leaving for our children. We are so proudly saying that we are the most ambitious in the nation with our goals. We've committed to take decisive action, the legislature, this administration. We have to do it to meet the scale and the urgency of the climate crisis all while growing our economy and protecting our consumers. At a rally at the Capitol on Tuesday, supporters, including Assemblywoman Patricia Fahey, expressed relief. It was a major breakthrough. We have not seen this for two years, and it really elevates the entire conversation. Fahey and other advocates say the changes would help New York meet its goals to reduce reliance on fossil fuels to net zero by 2050, as directed in the 2019 Climate Act. The gas industry does not support the measure, and some major unions are also against it. There's also been blowback among some members of the public and some Republican lawmakers over the limitations on natural gas access. The measure does not ban the use of natural gas. 
But a separate provision in the state's Climate Change Act would end the installation of gas stoves and other gas-fired appliances in some new construction beginning in 2026. Critics also say that all electric-generated heat is more expensive than gas-fueled heating and cooling. Fahey says the transition to wind, solar, and geothermal energy is initially costly. But, speaking in a noisy hallway of the Capitol after the rally, she says after that initial equipment is installed, the energy would be largely cost-free. But in the end, if your renewable energy is free... It's just the transmission costs or the investments to upgrade. Like I know people already who already have solar and have uh, geothermal. They actually are giving energy back. To the utility companies who by law have to buy back from the ratepayers excess energy that is produced, known as net metering. Hochul did not include in her budget the Heat Act's provision for a cap on utility bills for lower-income New Yorkers. Fahey and other backers say they are amending a bill to try to get that approved as a standalone measure. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt for the New York Public News Network. Thank you, Karen, for that report. Now on to our weekly news roundup with the River Reporter. For that, we turn to the River Reporter's own reporter, Ruby Rayner, joining us live right now. Ruby, how are you doing today? Hi, how are you? Good, good. Welcome back to the program. Um, let's start off. You've got a story uh, about uh, something that's even worse than fent- fentanyl in terms of its impact on people and uh, the ongoing battle against addiction in our listening area. What can you tell us about xylazine? Yeah, so I think it's important that everybody hears what it is and knows about it. Um, I personally wasn't aware of the increased prevalence of xylazine until I was kind of attending these drug task force meetings. And um, it's a sedative that's typically used in, in veterinary practices, you know, with animals, large animals like horses and cows, but it's been found um, increasingly mixed with um, fentanyl in heroin and crack cocaine and increases kind of the dangers of um, overdose specifically because um, naloxone isn't able to reverse its effects. So there's not that kind of line of defense, which has largely been um, a harm reduction point that people haven't invested, you know, pretty greatly in. Um, and that, and it, it just, it also has been tied to, it's like when it is, tested for, in addition to fentanyl, it's been linked to increases in fatal overdoses. So it's something that professionals are now paying attention to um, in hospitals, medical professionals are looking out for and starting to test for and widening the testing of that to make sure that it's, it's getting looked at and there's a greater understanding for how to combat it. Okay, and... What are some of the risk factors of prevalence for folks in Sullivan County? Yeah, so um, Heather Guinan, who's the co-chair of the uh, medical pillar of the drug task force in Sullivan County, she was a nurse practitioner who works at the Lexington Center in both Monticello and Liberty. Um, she just is saying that, like, it's definitely in Sullivan County. Um, I think oftentimes when there's newer things that isn't widely understood, there's um, the question of if it's a problem where you are, and she's saying that she's given um, test strips 
to her patients and they've tested their products and reported that it's positive and she just um, is wants to make sure that's that's known. Um, and I think another interesting fact that I didn't know either, but when I was reading through the grand jury report about the 16-month-old that died um, last year from a drug overdose is that it was actually fentanyl mixed with xylazine. So this has been, um, you know, in in Sullivan County and is, is affecting people. You know, is there any talk in the drug task force and the meetings that, that you're seeing where uh, – is there is there any discussion on why stronger and stronger substances like xylazine and fentanyl uh, keep hitting the streets, keep being uh, made available to the public? Why, why do these things come up? Is there any talk about that along the lines of trying to combat it? Yeah, I think that there's just increasingly – there's – People cut drugs with with different things. Um, there hasn't necessarily been a talk of, of why that is, um, but I think that the, you know it's upping. There's upping the ante, and um, it's just increased the real dangers. Honestly, yeah, raising um, the stakes and the risks. Yeah. yeah, sharp increase there. Um. And another topic, another story uh, that that you've got out, and something that folks have been following in the in the area is uh, a Traer's vote held. New law tamps down proliferation of new villages. Thompson's proposed new village straddles a legal divide. So, is this uh, what what's up with this proposed village? It would be kind of between uh, uh, Thompson and and Fallsburg. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just to, to say this now, it's still unclear whether um, the referendum um, to create this new village will apply or not because of this kind of confusion with this new law. So basically, a new bill was passed that rather than villages needing 500 permanent residents, they now are required to have a population of 2,000. And there's a couple of other two increases in kind of uh, restrictions around the creation of of villages. Um, But this affected this proposed village um, with parts of of Thompson. Um, And so they had stopped the referendum, but then because of a a very late court decision, they then had to hold the referendum, and now it's still unclear as to whether the referendum will count or not. Um, But it is expected to go overwhelmingly against um, the formation of the village. The the referendum is... is is expected to go against the the village or I did. This is part of what's confusing to me. And I just want to clarify this. I, and, uh, and I know maybe you just did, but is, are these two different things that there's a referendum for this new village? And then there's also what's happening in the state legislature. Yeah, exactly. So there's a law that was passed in the state legislature that tightens the restrictions on the formation of villages. And then there was in, you know, the town of Thompson, um, as well as Fallsburg, part of Fallsburg, a referendum about the creation of a village, um, Atiris. And that was then affected by that law. And there's still a question of whether, because of these increased restrictions on the formation of villages, 
the referendum that was hold will count or it won't because of the new restrictions that require a larger population. But just to be clear, the referendum passed, regardless of what happens afterwards. Like right now, locally, the referendum is passed. Now we're just waiting to see if these other changes impact that uh, essentially retroactively. Yes. All right. So I know you just, you just told me nobody really knows what's going to happen, but uh, any expectations? Any like what, what do you think? Um, well, the vote is expected to go against um, the formation of the village, so we'll we'll see. And I think in in terms of just wider, not just about this particular case, but the update um, of the formation of villages will kind of. Cr- Hopefully, like in the future, I think is it's going to combat these types of instances where there's a small amount of um, people that necessarily want to create a village, but there's no, they're not necessarily looking at the economic factors that may contribute. Um, in the new law, there's one of the things that is required is for the state comptroller can if there's fiscally unfavorable, unfavorable conditions for the proposed village, then the petition won't move forward. So it kind of widens the considerations when we're looking at creating a, a village. Okay. And now, finally, um, a phrase you don't hear too often, uh, gun control in Pennsylvania. Uh, what what are the bills, and would they actually strengthen gun control in Pennsylvania? Yeah, um, they would. They would definitely strengthen gun control in Pennsylvania. It's definitely going to be a while before it will reach um, the governor. But um, basically, this is the first time since 2018 that there has been this much movement um, in increasing gun control. So that's something to note. Um, and the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives um, in the state of Pennsylvania um, advanced this package of laws. Okay, so uh, I guess then the, the, the next question uh, would be, how are they taking this? Because this is, again, not the sort of thing that you think would, would go over well, so I, I assume there's disagreement over this. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh it will probably face kind of an unwelcome reception when it reaches the Republican majority, and it has in conversation. Um, it was voted along very much party lines, and it passed because um, in the the House is Democratic controlled. Um, but it is, I think, it is important just that there is a conversation going on that hasn't been this wide um, since. 2018, the package of bills um, includes measures to ban the sale of assault rifles um, or semi-automatic guns, which have been used in a number of of mass shootings in the country. And it also has laws to prohibit accelerated triggers, which increase the rate of gunfire and um, prohibit proliferation of um, untraceable weapons. And there was some pushback from um, Tim Briggs. Um, I mean, actually, sorry, that's my apologies. Um, not Tim Briggs. There was some pushback from Joe um, Ham, who um, is a Republican member, who said that this really um, 
is going to infringe on the specifically the Pennsylvania Constitution. So it's, it's unlikely that it's going to be welcomed in the Senate, but uh, Governor Josh Shapiro has voiced his support for increased gun control. Yeah, uh, the, the quote here from Joe Ham uh, representing Pennsylvania's 84th is, if the government can infringe on our Second Amendment rights, no rights can be enjoyed by citizens of this nation. So no, no, any infringement on the Second Amendment rights, he's saying, um, you know, basically invalidates or puts at risk all the rights. That's a pretty stark and pretty clear uh, position, basically saying what, what's being proposed right now, A, is an infringement on Second Amendment rights, and B, you know, that cannot happen. So that's, that's a pretty clear line to be drawing. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, yeah, any, any uh, other thoughts uh, on this story? No. Hey, great. Well, and is there anything else that you want to let folks know about before we go? Um, the new paper's out. There's um, some great stories in it and some also really great pictures of the frozen lakes that I, I personally enjoyed. <laughs> Wait, what's, what's that? What, what frozen lakes? Um, York Lake in New York. Um, there is just like this beautiful kind of like icy fall and there's some great pictures of that in the paper this week. So what, did, did you go out looking for this, or did you just happen to be out and just stumble upon amazing-looking frozen lake? Yes, just stumbled upon amazing-looking frozen lake. All right. If you want to see and, that, it's, the pictures are in the paper, River Reporters uh, uh, online at, uh, uh, at riverreporter.com. And then also, of course, uh, the print version will hit the newsstands tomorrow. We've been talking to the River Reporter's own Ruby Rayner. You can hear her again this weekend doing the headlines for us for both New York and Pennsylvania. And Ruby will be right back here in this time slot next Wednesday. Ruby, thank you so much for running this all down for us. Thanks. Bye. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about the teaching that's happening in Rhinebeck coming up on Sunday. Stay with us. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Farm Arts Collective, located on Willow West Organic Farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania. Farm Arts Collective's programs intersect the practices of farming, performance, food, and ecology. FarmArtsCollective.org From The Community Foundation of Orange and Sullivan A publicly supported philanthropic institution CFOSNY.org And from listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org on the next Retro Cocktail Hour, we'll ride a roller coaster with Les Baxter. You'll meet the Steve and Edie of jazz. And there's mood music for tropical depression. I'm Daryl Brogdon. Join me where the music's always shaken, not stirred. The Retro Cocktail Hour. Coming up tonight at 7 on Radio Catskill. And of course, before we get into the Retro Cocktail Hour at 7, we do have the Daily coming up in just 10 minutes, right after the Local Edition. And before that, we've got the rest of the Local Edition right now. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Thank you for staying here with us. 
This Sunday in Rhinebeck, there will be a live panel discussion, a teach-in featuring four panelists addressing the current conflict in the Middle East. Focus of the discussion is on promoting peace and justice rather than fostering anger and helplessness. The event aims to provide a non-polemical historical background and highlight the personal stories of the four panelists participating, each of whom have deep ties to Israel and Palestine. The sponsors of the event include Jewish Voice for Peace, Hudson Valley Westchester Chapter, Middle East Crisis Response, New Paltz United Methodist Church, New Paltz Women in Black, New York State Council of Churches, North Bronx Racial Justice, Unitarian Universalist Congregation of the Catskills, USA Palestine Mental Health Network, Veterans for Peace, Women Against War, and others. Patricio Rabayo, Radio Catskills' own, had the opportunity to speak with one of the organizers, journalist Tony Avigran. My name is uh, Tony Avergan, and I was a uh, journalist for 20 years. We lived 10 years in Tanzania, but then worked all over Africa and North Africa and the Middle East. And then we moved. That was in the 70s. And when things were, countries were not free yet, they were under colonialism mostly. And we covered the liberation movements. Now we're, we're retired and live in, live in Rhinebeck. But we still are activists with different different organizations and working for progressive political candidates. But we have a whole group of about 20 organizations, Jewish Voices for Peace, and also the New York State Council of Churches, and a bunch of synagogues. And the speakers are... There's a woman who's the Jewish chaplain at, at Newport University. And we also have Mark Hammond, who lives in Woodstock. And he lived in Israel for more than 10 years and served in, in the Israeli army during the first war. And then turned, found that he found that when they were doing patrols in on the West Bank, that they were checking Arabs' papers and things, and he was the guy that was holding the gun, and 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 while the other person checked the checked the things, and he he finally realized that that was part of the suppression of of Arabs, and he's now turned. He's a psychologist and specializes in trauma, and he uh, he's working very closely with Palestinians. And and then there's a couple of two Palestinians, a woman who uh, grew up in Palestine and now lives in Jordan, and she's a she's a an artist and a researcher, and also a, a young man who is a is a Palestinian uh, filmmaker. And they're all speaking about how they came to understand the situation in Israel and and started out, at least from the, the Jews on the panel, started out as, as Zionists, but then realized what that meant <laughs> and turned quite in the other direction and turned to, to be wanting to help. And there's a lot of people in the organization, like me and, and others, who have experience in, in Israel and Palestine and they're gonna and but the people on the panel are gonna talk about their experiences and then uh take questions from the from the audience. And there was a previous meeting in uh, Newports 
a couple months ago, and that was uh, very successful. And this one has been uh, there's been an enormous response. We we thought the uh, the upstate movie theater has 150 some seats, and we thought in Rhinebeck that's would be sufficient. And the fact is, we asked people to make RSVPs, and it it sold out in a week. And we now have an overflow crowd, so we're probably going to have another one. We're talking about planning another one after this thing on the 28th, but the response has been has been enormous. So how did this talk, you, you mentioned there was something like this before, but how did this particular talk come about? Did I know, you, I know there's a lot of co-sponsors, a part of this, you mentioned some of them, the Jewish Voice for Peace and the Middle East Crisis Response, mm-hmm. New Pulse, United Methodist right. Church. How did this whole program come together? As I mentioned, there was a an event at a church in Newport about two months ago, and my wife and I went down and we saw that and met the people there that were that have been organizing that. And the format was very similar to what we're doing, what I just described, and what we're doing in in Rhinebeck. And it was decided that this was so popular, so much, there was so much interest in this that we should do it again, and we picked a, uh, a central place and one that wasn't based in the university where there was just the general public understanding that the interest might be somewhat less in that situation, but the fact is that the interest was uh, enormous when we uh, we decided to we checked different venues in Rhinebeck and decided on the upstate cinema I want to see if you could talk about what's happening in the Middle East currently, and do you feel having forums like this is important? Of course, the war is between Israel and the Palestinians, and I think although the people on our panel come from very different backgrounds, they are all united in in being critical of the current actions by the Israeli government and the Israeli defense forces, in that there, that no one supports what Hamas did on in attacking the villages and the kibbutzes before, but then they killed 1,200 or so people, or a little less than 1,200 people. But then uh, the Israeli retaliation has killed over 24,000 people, and it's been totally out of proportion, and... Uh, South Africa has gone to the World Court and uh, presented an action of uh, genocide against uh, Israel for their their actions in that. And we all are all the organizations involved in organizing the event in Rhinebeck are very committed to getting a permanent ceasefire, an end to the killing, an end to the war, an end to the destruction of the Palestinian infrastructure of the buildings and the huge death toll that is occurring and is continuing to occur. So we're all working for a yeah, permanent ceasefire. Like I said, this is happening on Sunday, January 28th, starting at 11 o'clock. Are you saying it is, as of right now is being has sold out? There's no other seats available? There, there will be some possibility for walk-ins for people who didn't RSVP to come, and we have a another theater in the upstate complex that we can seat those people in and have them wait. And if they're just before the event starts, we'll let as many people as 
as we can into the main theater to attend the to attend the event. So, if folks are interested in in attending the event, where can they go to find more information? The there is a if they go to the website of Upstate Films to their website and look on the calendar, there is a they can scroll down and look on the date on the and there is a poster. And current information about the about the event there. Many many of the groups, the Middle East Crisis Center and others, have the things on their websites. But the um, the easiest thing for people to do is go to the Upstate Films website. Uh, Tony, right. thank you so much for for talking to us uh, um, and letting us know about this community conversation. I call it uh, uh, called "Yearning for Peace and Justice: A Teach In on Israel and Palestine." Really, thank you so much for for letting me know about this. And like I said, I really appreciate okay, you well, talking we're, to. We're pleased to do that and, and uh, keep in touch. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Rabayo. And thank you, Patricio, for that. Thank you also to Ruby Rayner for checking in and the New York Public News Network for the news that they bring us. Thank you for listening and do keep listening right here on air and at WJFFradio.org. Radio Catskill always live streaming. I've been your host, Jason Dole. This has been the local edition. I'll be back tomorrow evening. We'll do this all over again. Before that, 10 a.m. tomorrow, don't miss Radio Chatskill. Tim Bruno will be in live with more news and conversations. Got the Daily coming up next. After that, it's a retro cocktail hour here on Radio Catskill. And don't be fooled by the name. It is, in fact, two hours long tonight and every Wednesday night at 7. Uh, let's just take a quick look at the weather before we go on. And really, uh, the headline here is it's it's foggy. Uh, so do watch out for the fog uh, both tonight and tomorrow. Uh, rain tonight, areas of dense fog overnight low down to 32. Fog tomorrow morning as well, becoming cloudy for the afternoon and much warmer as the temperature rises to about 48 degrees. That's the high for tomorrow. And more rain is on its way tomorrow night.